All right. How is everyone doing this morning? Good, good, excellent. All right. I have a few announcements real quick. So coming up this Saturday, we have our monthly prayer walk. This time we are going to be just across the street over there at New Baldwin. Very, very convenient, very close. It's a lovely park. So we'll be there at 10 a.m. this coming Sunday. So I hope to see you all there. Uh, this is our last week to sign up for the Summer Learning Series. We are reading a book, Stay Salt, about how to have faith-based conversations. So if that's something you're interested in learning more about, let me know this week. We're starting. If you want a book, you need to let me know soon. So let me know if you want to be a part of that. Uh, it'll, they'll probably go for four or five weeks or so for, for the rest of the summer. And then, lastly, we have a family service coming up. We haven't done it in a long time because we've been busy doing other things. We have a family service coming up. It's going to be July 31st. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have food. Anna is going to give a kid's lesson. It is going to be extra fun, and I'm really excited. Like, those were really fun, and we, and we get to do them again. So that is, that is very good. All right, speaking of Anna, you come up and talk about our kid sheet for this week. I'll creep out of the way. Good morning, River Tree. I'm so happy to see you all. Okay, so a note on the family sermon. Okay, it is a kid's lesson, but it's not just for kids. So please bring your kids, but please come too. Okay, I'm hoping that this is truly a time for us to be united as a church family. We do have some kid sheets today, um, and they correspond with the message that Jesse's going to be giving us. So we have our beloved word search that I hear is all the rage these days. Um, and then we also have an at-home sheet. Uh, I do hope you'll grab this. It has our memory verse on it. This is intended to be put on your refrigerator or counter, wherever your gathering space is, and just left out and, and looked upon throughout the week, and y'all can work on uh, memorizing the verse together. There's an activity on here with instructions, very, very simple, but totally applicable to what we're discussing today. There is one additional sheet this week. This was just something I happened to find um, as Jesse sent me his message notes, and it just corresponded beautifully uh, with what we're going to be learning today and just a nice little thought to reflect on throughout the week. But I have one more thing. I got here a little early this morning, and I was looking on the tables out front. Jesse tells me a couple months ago you all did a sermon series on worship and incorporating worship into your daily life. So I found this amazing resource sitting out there on the table. It's like a two-week thing. Is, is it intended to be a two-week two week, thing? Yep. Okay, and it goes through, like it's just a thought for the day and how to incorporate worship into your lifestyle. And I was just reading through this and I was just, I was just, I thought it was so profound. I thought it was so concise and just a really amazing resource. So if you haven't grabbed one, I hope you'll grab one because I'm gonna be going through it this week and next week, and I would love it if we could talk more about it. All right, thank you all. Perfect, thank you very much. Yeah, no, that was for our worship walk series we did, what, two months ago now? Something like that? So if you happen to have missed it, there are extra copies out there, or if you wanna go through it again, there are copies out there. It was a really fun series. Lauren did an awesome job prepping that for us. All right, so I was out of town all this week. Um, Christine and I, we were up in Utah visiting some friends and family up there. And friends and family, very, all right, yeah. But what we get to do up there, the Uinta ground squirrel. I got to hang out with so much of these guys. Look how cute they are. Look how adorable they are. And they love Cheez-Its. I was able to lure them with Cheez-Its. So I got so many pictures of, like, we were up in a rock and this little guy kept coming back. He's super happy with it. Look at him, his little eye closed. He's so happy. But I got to live out kind of my dream of being a Disney princess, I got two of them to eat out of my hand. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but yes, that was 
Maybe the highlight of the trip is those guys were cute and adorable. Christina and I sat on that rock for an hour or more just feeding these adorable little guys. So that's basically what I did this week. I sat in a hot tub and played with squirrels. All right, anyway, on to, on to today. Uh, so today we are continuing our series through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and we are continuing the kind of trajectory we've been on. We'll kind of get back to reflect on what we talked about last week a little bit, if you remember. That'll tie into this week. But before we get too far, let me read our passage. Our passage today is Matthew 9. I will start in verse 18. While he, Jesus, was saying these things, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come, put your hand upon her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subjected to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If only I can touch his cloak. I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. Okay, so let's kind of dive in a little bit here. So starting at the very beginning, while he said this, who remembers what we talked about last week at the park? Anyone? What? Fasting, yeah, yeah, we we talked a little bit about that. Sorry, what? God's kingdom, yeah, 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 yeah. So in the story right before this, Jesus, the disciples of John are coming to Jesus and asking, why don't your disciples fast? And we talked about how they were kind of missing the idea of fasting. They were letting the idea of fasting get in the way of what it was actually meant to do. So the kind of through line right now is when does following the law get in the way of upholding the intent of the law? That's kind of the undercurrent going on right now. So right after Jesus has that discussion, this happens. So often when you see this cue here, that can give you a hint of, all right, these are going to be connected. What's... How, well, what's the through line here? Uh, a little more bookkeeping up top. A synagogue leader, roughly the equivalent of like a local pastor. He would have been the head of the local synagogue, kind of the rough equivalent of what we might think of as a church. And we don't know this particular person's affiliation, whether he was a Sadducee, a Pharisee, I guess non-denominational is not the right term, but not any one of the official sanctioned groupings. We, we have no idea. All we know is he was a local synagogue leader. And he has an interesting request. His daughter has died. Come, put your hand upon her, and she will live. Now, there's a couple things to think about here. Touching a dead body, giant no-no. That would have made Jesus unclean. He would have had to quarantine outside of the city for a while. He couldn't have done his work. That would have potentially gotten the father in trouble for asking this, the synagogue leader, asking this of Jesus. And remember, because he is a synagogue leader, he 100% knows this. He doesn't have the excuse of, I didn't know the law. No, he 100% knows the law. But it is fascinating that this person is willing to break cleanliness laws for a chance to save his daughter. And again, something else I think is fascinating here is the faith in Jesus. There's not a, hey, hey, Jesus, do do you think if you came, you might, be able to, to, to heal her, to raise her? No, it's just, and she will live. 
no question about whether Jesus could do it, which we'll, we've seen in a couple instances before, a couple stories before this, right? People having unending, unwavering faith in Jesus can do this. So Jesus leaves. Him and his disciples, they go off. On their way, we have another story that kind of interrupts our main story here. This woman who has been subjected to bleeding for 12 years comes up to Jesus. We're not sure what this bleeding is. It is not specified, but whatever it is, is obviously long-term, 12 years, and again, would have made her unclean, meaning she could not have been around people. She could not have been around her family, friends, anyone. She would have been completely outcast for 12 years. She would not have been allowed around people for 12 years. That's a long time. And now, notice what she does. She comes up, she touches Jesus. That is a big move. Because remember, once again, she is breaking cleanliness laws. She can't touch people. If she does, she could get in trouble. Potentially, this could be viewed as an attacking a rabbi. You could be sentenced to death for this. But she comes up and touches Jesus' robe. This reminds you of some other people in the last couple of weeks of stories. Remember, we had um, the demon-possessed person kind of running up, asking for help. We had the, um, the paraplegic, his friends coming in, running in. Jesus shouldn't have been there touching him, but they had faith. Jesus would come in. And from uh, the, the leper, did the exact same thing, kind of at the very beginning of this kind of little series. He runs up and starts, you know, talking, running to Jesus, even though he knows you, you're supposed to stay away. You could get in massive trouble for this. You don't. They have faith that Jesus can do this. And maybe that's why she's sneaking up kind of behind here. It says, you know, she came up behind touching the edge of his cloak. Maybe she's hoping, I believe Jesus can do this. What if he won't because I'm unclean? So is that playing into the, I'm going to sneak up and try to, have, try to be unnoticed? Oh, I, I put a nice picture in there. Um, did I get to the cloak? Yeah. So which, when it talks about the fringes of the cloak, closest I could think of would be like, you know, you'd have a cloak, you would have danglies off. The closest I could think of is these. They would be kind of dangling off. I wore this as a visual, even though it's... 90 degrees out or something right now. But yeah, it would be the equivalent of like drawstrings kind of coming off of the back of a cloak. So it's, which is kind of off in, in, in the fringes there. Oh, I got excited and rolled too far. Okay. Now we get to verse 22 here. Verse 22 is a really, really important verse. Because notice, faith is the key to her healing. Your faith has healed you. This is something we've seen Many, many times before, indeed, just in these last two chapters, this is a kind of reoccurring theme throughout this section. But I think we need to be careful here to not turn faith into a commodity. Do not turn faith into, well, I'm not being healed, I'm not getting X, Y, or Z, I must not have enough faith. I think sometimes it can be easy for us to fall into that pattern or that, that danger of, well, I, I just need to have more faith, or I need to believe more to make it happen. When really, it's, it's the exact opposite. It's highlighting there is absolutely nothing we can do to kind of get this healing. We don't deserve it. We don't 
There's nothing we can give. We can't pay for it through faith. But I think that's, it's freely given. And that's the amazing part about it, is it's not something that we work for, that we do X, Y, or Z. We say enough prayers, we have enough faith, and then we get it. It's any amount, smallest amount of faith. Again, that idea of the mustard seed, smallest amount. And even that is freely given to us from God. So I just want to kind of throw that in there because that is something that we can sometimes fall into the trap of, of, oh, faith makes us well. I need to have more faith. I need to have more faith. And having more faith is a good thing, but we can't commoditize it and make it the thing that's driving us over the realization that this is a free, absolute gift from God. Um, here. So then, Jesus, and we're going to come back to this verse at the very end. Because like I said, this is probably the most important verse of this passage. So put a pin in this one. We will swing back to it. The woman is healed. Excellent. Jesus gets to the synagogue leader's house. There he finds a noisy crowd and people playing pipes. All this is, this is um, a funeral dirge. This is how mourning occurred. You would, there were people that were professional mourners. You would pay them. They would come in, wail, play instruments. That's just how mourning worked. And so this is just highlighting, yes, the daughter is actually dead. There's, she's not in a coma, not anything like that. The daughter's actually dead. This, they're re-emphasizing that by her funeral is actively going on. She just comes in and says, no, 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 she's not dead. She's just asleep. What does the crowd do? They, they laugh because this sounds absurd. And I think this is important. I like that this is thrown in here because we've had so many people in the last couple chapters especially having this unwavering faith, right? The father the bleeding woman, all of them are like, oh, if I can just touch Jesus, if, oh, Jesus will definitely be able to do this. That we can forget that the vast majority of people that encountered Jesus probably didn't have that same faith in him. So as evidenced here by this crowd, they just completely laugh at him, assuming, no, the, the girl's dead. Why, what are you doing? But I think it's important for us to remember that a lot of people didn't believe in Jesus at this time kind of fighting against that uphill battle for a lot of people. So, uh, Jesus sends them outside, takes the girl by the hand, she gets up. She's healed. And again, what I love about this, it's very simple. It's just, she got up. There's not an elaborate ritual Jesus does. There's not kind of this huge, grandiose display. Just gets up. I love that. But again, but again not, not following cleanliness laws touching her, breaking all cleanliness laws for the betterment of this girl, her family, her father, everything. Last verse here, verse 26, is just kind of setting up what's to come. In the next couple sections, this act is the bridge. We'll, we'll see how this plays in. Okay, that was a real quick run through this passage, but now let's go back through it, or kind of look at it from a whole perspective. What's going on here? Well, Jesus in a way, brings two people back to life. The synagogue leader's daughter, very literally brings back to life, and also the bleeding woman, in a sense, brings back to life, gives her her life back. She can come back into society, have a family again, have friends again, do things again, and not just be outcast. Both of them were unclean. Both of them, Jesus should not have been anywhere near but did. 
for their betterment, did for their healing and cleaning. Now, there's something else weird about this passage that always jumped out to me. Why do we have the bleeding woman story sandwiched in the middle of another story? Like, when I was a, a teacher, if a student gave me a paper like this, oh, my red pen would have been all over it. No, what are you doing? You pull that out, like, you're breaking the flow of this story. You put that at the end or before, like, you have this be two separate stories. Why? What is going on here? Well, I think it is to, this is a Jewish writing practice um, called an inclusio, where we have something just dropped into the middle of a larger story, a larger thing. You see it a lot in poetry, but here we're having a story sandwiched in the middle of another larger story. Oftentimes when that happens, the thing in the middle is the main point. That's what the passage is about. And the thing on the outside, they're just kind of highlighting ideas or using it to point toward that middle passage. So, why is this passage so important? This middle story, what is it doing? Well, let's go back to verse 22 here. This word, healed, is the Greek word, sozos. It is used a hundred, I wrote it down, and 20 times in the New Testament. 117 times, it means salvation. So that means three times it means bodily healing. These three, you're, you're looking at them right here. So why, like, why, like that does not make sense. Why in this passage is this word that is 117, every other usage, is salvation, restoration of spirit, where it talks about Jesus died on the cross for you know, your salvation. It's this word. There are other words for healing. For example, the word um, therapido, which therapy, we get that word from. That's a Greek word that is used in the Bible a lot as physical healing. So why is this word used here? Really, you could say, if only I could touch his cloak, I will be saved or I will get salvation. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has saved you. And the woman was saved from that moment. What is going on in this passage? Well, it's like highlighting a bigger story, kind of foreshadowing what's to come a little bit. Because do you recall, it was last week, in the story wherein the disciples of John come and ask, why aren't you fasting? Jesus gives three kind of little short parables. Does anyone remember the first one? The one about the groom. Remember what Jesus says? But when the groom leaves, Jesus is the groom. So Jesus, in the very passage before, has kind of already given that little hint of, hey, I'm leaving. There'll be a time when I'm not here with you. Kind of giving that quick little hint of crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, kind of Jesus not being here. We have a passage that is really talking about salvation <clears throat> that is literally flanked, go back, by a passage about a literal raising from the dead. This is all coming together to kind of make a nice little sandwich here, right? We have salvation right in the middle. Your faith will save you. Jesus talking, you know, take heart, daughter. Take heart, son. Take heart, your faith will save you. And the woman was saved instantly. All of that surrounded 
by Jesus actually raising someone from the dead. It's a nice little package we have here, right? This, pack, this passage is doing a lot of legwork for, what is it, six or seven verses, right? There's a lot going on in here. First, it's showing how Jesus did what he talked about, right? Cleanliness laws in this case were getting in the way of what their intended use was. Their intended was to protect people. And in this case, they were getting in the way of Jesus protecting, healing, saving people. It's showing what Jesus means when he talks about loving, loving your neighbor, especially those marginalized, those, in this case, kicked out to the margins of society. In one case, actually dead. In the other case, tangibly dead, alone, isolated by themselves. Jesus going out of his way to love them. And it also hits an idea of how, how are you healed? How are you saved? How are you delivered or brought back to life? Faith. Simple. Sounds weird to say simple, but simple faith. Jesus is waiting and willing. Like, I like thinking about this passage, the, the bleeding woman passage, and thinking about it in relation to Jesus' omnipotence. This is completely not in the Bible, but in my head, Jesus, you know, is walking. He knows the woman's coming. It's not like it's a surprise to him. In my head, he's probably thinking, like, come on. Come on, you're almost there. Maybe I'll tie my shoe. And, you know, like, in my, like, it's not a surprise to him. He knows she's coming. He knows she's there. And just think about what that means for us, right? Jesus knows we're there. Knows our story, knows everything, and is waiting and willing. Is there. Reaching out. Having a little cloak dangling, you know, dangling behind for us. To heal us. To save us. To clean us. Now, I just absolutely love this passage. They're kind of seeing this structure of it. <clears throat> oh, um, so what, what does this mean for us today? That the one who made all these outcasts, all these unclean individuals, brought them back into society, brought them back into life. In our story now, it's building up that Jesus is getting ready to do the same thing for all of us. Getting ready to Calvary for all of us to do this exact same thing because without Jesus, we are all outcast from God. Our sin has made us unclean. We're, we can't go into the city, if you want to think about it that way. We can't go with God. Jesus cleans us and restores us, so then we can go into the family of God. We're restored to life physically, restored to life metaphysically, restored to life in every way possible through Jesus, into the family. And so for me, I just absolutely love this passage. This is now, honestly, just this verse is one of my favorites right now for kind of seeing this. This is such an amazing encapsulation of what the gospel is. Faith is for sale. And even that faith comes from God. Freely given. And God desperately desperately desires that faith that builds that community within here and within our lives. Community, fellowship with God. This week, as we move forward, think about that. Just think about tangible ways you can feel that faith. What are some things you could do 
harbor that faith, to nurture that growth? Is it reading a little bit? You know, is it finding a little, a little daily devotional? Maybe this week, but that one Anna po- pointed out, the one you did a couple weeks ago, if you happen to have missed it, that's a great kind of small, tangible thing to dive into. Maybe it's um, setting aside a few minutes for prayer. Even just, you know, two or three minutes. And they're praying, sitting in silence. That can be a great thing to do. Just sit. It's, I'm really bad at it. because I, If I sit in silence, my brain starts going a thousand miles an hour. It's really hard to do. But some people absolutely love it. You just sit and wait on God. Just sit and listen. What do you have for me? There are a litany of other things. But just try one or two things this week. Give an opportunity to just sit, sit in that faith. Sit in that love. So we can grow to have the kind of faith that this woman has. No. If I just get close, not even touch Jesus, and really not even touch his actual clothes, like the frilly bits off the end, if I can just get that close. I know I'll be healed. I know I'll be 